0: Howdy. Before we start today, we'd like to do two things. First is we'd like to thank our Patreon Come and Take It Rangers, people who've pledged every month to support us financially. Now, you too can take the pledge. You can go to patreon.com slash texaspodcast and, uh, you know, just throw a few bucks in the kitty every month. And if you throw in enough dollars, we'll give a hey, hi, howdy to you on the show. First up is Jerry Williams. We want to thank you for donating. Next is Greg Lillick. Carl Haddock and Kate Pancake. We thank you so much for that. We appreciate all of the notes and the wonderful things that you guys have said on the show. If you choose to support the show, there's a whole list of perks that you get through Patreon, so check out our Patreon page. Another thing you can do to help the show is to rate and review us on iTunes, because it helps us to find new listeners just like you. Here's a great review we just got. The title was As Awesome as the Lone Star State, Five Stars, by Texas History Teacher. They said, informative, and as a Texas history teacher, I will be sharing this treasure. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Texas history teacher. Thank you to our patrons. And thank you to our listeners and subscribers. Keep coming back every week to learn more about the great state of Texas and its history. And without further ado, here's the show. And he's like, you're pulling all this apart. I'm trying to get us out of here. I'm like, what are you nuts doing? What are you knuckleheads doing? Put it all back together. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski.
1: I'm Sean McIver.
0: And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Even before Mexico opened its Texan borders to settlers in 1821, enterprising Americans crossed over illegally and set themselves up as squatters in the river valleys of East Texas. Mixing with the poor farmers and other settlers already living there, the legal and illegal influx of people brought scofflaws, land swindlers, and other assorted 'er ne'er-do-wells into the borderlands, contested by the United States and Mexico along the Sabine River. It was inevitable that disputes over land would arise, but perhaps no one expected them to become the bloody conflict known as the Regulator-Moderator War. But first, who's your favorite Texas lawman?
1: Well, I'm going to go with Sheriff Dan Stevens from the movie Silent Rage.
0: Well, that's a a great choice, but I'm going to go with uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid from the movie Lone Wolf McQuaid, one of my favorites. Yeah, well,
2: nobody beats Walker, Texas Ranger, Hmm. so... That's true. Very true.
0: In the early 19th century, western Louisiana was a lawless no-man's land. After the Louisiana Purchase, the U.S. and Spain nearly went to war over the territory's borders. Spain claimed that Texas extended to the Arroyo Hondo, a river that goes through today's Lake Charles. The U.S. claimed the purchase included all of Texas to the Rio Grande. Conflict was avoided in 1806 when American General James Wilkinson, who was in fact being bribed by the Spanish government, and General Simone de Herrera, brokered an uneasy truce. Both sides agreed to make the strip of land about 40 miles wide and 200 miles long neutral territory. What became known as the neutral ground was uncontrolled by any government and was in theory supposed to be off limits to settlement by both sides.
1: The lack of law in the neutral ground made it wide open to squatters looking for free land. Plenty of riverboat gamblers, thieves, highwaymen, slave smugglers, and swindlers found their way to what some started calling the Sabine Free State. Gangs of criminals, including associates of the pirate John Lafitte, would prey on settlers along the Mississippi and escape into no man's land with impunity. The U.S. and Spanish armies occasionally cooperated on expeditions into the territory, but events in Europe and the United States prevented much direct action. The lawlessness of the neutral ground spilled over
2: into Texas proper, especially the rich farmland east of the Trinity River. Spain, mired in conflict with Napoleon in Europe and fighting to hold on to its colonial possessions, was unable to completely clear out squatters. The most famous attempt was in 1813, when General Arredondo drove out most of the Anglos and many Tejanos who had supported the Gutierrez-Magee expedition. The border was porous, however, and the neutral ground remained an easy shield for anyone who wished to circumvent the law on either
0: side. In 1819, the United States and Spain signed the Adams Onis Treaty. The U.S. gave up all claim on the interior of Texas in exchange for setting the border at the Sabine River. Shortly after that, Mexico gained its independence from Spain and opened its borders to legal immigration. Conflict erupted between the old squatters and the new legal settlers throughout the period of Anglo colonization. Stephen F. Austin reported meeting Anglo squatters as he scouted along the Brazos for his first colony. Of course, we all know one of these squatters was Britt Bailey, the Jug Hunter. And we talked about him in our Halloween episode two years ago. The Adams and East Treaty officially
1: ended the Sabine Free State, and the neutral ground became legal U.S. territory. The land of the west of the Sabine was officially part of Spain and then later Mexico. The legacy of lawlessness continued, however, and this caused problems on both sides of the border for more than two decades. Even in a time when everyone seemed to be wrapped up in bogus land schemes, land fraud was shockingly common in the area immediately east and west of the Sabine. Disputes broke out constantly over deeds and property lines.
2: As Texas progressed toward independence, the area remained lawless. The lack of Mexican control of their eastern border is one of the key reasons so much illegal immigration from the United States occurred during the 1830s, when Anglo settlement was officially banned. As with the neutral ground... Legal claims to the land east of Nacogdoches, which was the site of the Fredonian Rebellion in 1826, were tenuous and disputed. Anyone running from anything in the U.S. could simply cross the Sabine and plant themselves in the woods without fear of authority, never mind that someone may already have legal claim to that land. With Texan independence, as well as a massive financial meltdown in the United States, even more Americans poured over the border in 1837, and the tensions increased one series of disputes soon led to a bloody feud. Ironically, both sides of the feud claimed to desire law and order, but their methods and results represent anything but.
0: The roots of the conflict were land swindles and murders. A man named Joseph Goodbread and a local sheriff named Alfred George were arguing over land in 1840, just four years after the republic had been formed. George had sold a slave to Goodbread, and Goodbread paid with a fraudulent land certificate. Sheriff George sought the aid of his friend, an ex-riverboat captain and fugitive from Louisiana Justice, named Charles W. Jackson, to resolve the dispute. Jackson had previously run an unsuccessful campaign for Congress in the Republic of Texas. He blamed his defeat on people he said were involved in land fraud. Goodbread was presumably among them. Whatever the substance of their conversation, Jackson ended up shooting Goodbread in the town of Shelbyville. And Homer was never the same. (laughs) (laughs) I knew there was going to
2: be a Simpsons comment there.
1: Um, Jackson subsequently formed his own irregular militia called the Regulators, ostensibly to prevent cattle wrestling and other criminal activity. The Regulators also intended to take the law into their own hands and end local corruption. They took their name from similar groups who had resisted government in the Appalachian frontier before the American Revolution. Their opponents saw them as vigilantes and thugs for Jackson, and their methods, which included burning farms and, quote, confiscating property, made them feared throughout the area. Yeah, that reminds me of the Tennessee frontier justice that uh, Davy
2: Crockett and his compatriots practiced back in the good old days. Yeah. Now, reacting to Jackson's regulators, local residents Edward Ned Merchant and Deputy Sheriff James J. Cravens formed a group called the Moderators named because they were intended to moderate the Regulators. Makes sense. The contention between the two groups escalated when Jackson was finally brought to trial in July of 1841 for the murder of Goodbread. The judge on the case, John M. Hansford, just happened to be a friend of Goodbread and was sympathetic to the moderators. The Regulators, claiming the trial would be unfair, again, makes sense, arrived in force and they were armed to the teeth. The judge fled and left a note for the sheriff that read, quote, I am unwilling to risk my person in the courthouse any longer when I see myself surrounded by Bravos and hired assassins. The trial couldn't proceed without a judge. When former President Sam Houston heard about the botched trial, he reportedly said, I think it advisable to declare Shelby County, Tanaha, and Terrapin Neck free and independent governments and let them fight it
0: out. The regulators torched the homes of the McFadden family and of Tiger Jim Strickland, who were known supporters of the moderators. This infuriated the moderators, and the violence continued to escalate. A short while later, the McFaddens ambushed Jackson, killing him and an innocent bystander named Lauer. The regulators were soon taken over by another recent immigrant, Charles Watt Mormon.
1: Now, Watt Mormon was one of those remarkably likable scoundrels that always seemed to find their way into Texas. He was originally from Alabama, and he was recently living in Mississippi. He came to Texas in 1837. Now, some say he was wanted for forgery in Mississippi, and he fled, but others say he just moved with his family when they lost everything in the financial crisis known as the Panic of 1837. His brother-in-law later said, quote, What could shoot straighter than any man I ever saw? He was a good scholar, wrote poetry that was real funny, and he had a comical laugh. He would not confine himself to any kind of business, was the ideal of his father and mother, played billiards and ten-pins, bruised fellows' heads with billiard cues, rode his friend's horses, spent their money, and wore their clothes. He gave away his own clothes if he had more than his share, had the most respectable men for his friends, and anything he wanted that they had was at his service. Sounds like my wow. kind of guy. I was going to say... <laughs>
2: Mormon led his regulators on a campaign to drive out the moderators. They ambushed and captured the entire McFadden family. The McFaddens were tried in a regulator-appointed court in Shelbyville in October 1841. The two older McFadden brothers, Bill and Bailey, were hanged on the spot for the murders of Jackson and Lauer.
1: Yeah, and this trial was not before a jury. It was just in the town, and Mormon led the trial. <laughs> he was the judge. Yeah. Yeah, judge, jury, and executioner. Hey, Shelbyville belonged
2: to them. Why not? <laughs> Most of the county agreed that the McFadden's had gone too far by killing a bystander, and perhaps the violence could have ended there. They called just call, let bygones be bygones, end it right there. But Mormon's force had grown so large that some said he had plans to overthrow the Texas government and set himself up as a dictator. Even if that wasn't true, he ruled Shelbyville with an iron fist, Sympathy for the moderators started to grow among the locals, who were chafing under Mormon's
1: influence. You could say that the more he tightened his grip, the more Shelbyville slipped, out, slipped through his fingers. You could smell his foul stench when he walked on board. <laughs> In 1842,
0: a boarder named Stanfield, living at the house of a regulator named Runnels, accused an ex-regulator named Hall of stealing hogs and shot him dead. Hall's friends and family enlisted the aid of the moderators. They pursued both Stanfield and Runnels and killed them both. The leader of the moderators at the time was John M. Bradley, the sworn enemy of Mormon. Soon there were regular fights and ambushes throughout Shelby and neighboring counties. After the violence
1: started up again, Mormon took Bradley to court seeking justice. This is the best part. A moderator judge dismissed all the charges against Bradley, while a regulator judge dismissed the charges against Mormon. It's convenient how that worked out. This pageantry did nothing to stop the killing, though, and some old grudges were settled. Judge Hansford had been impeached in January for his part in allowing the violence to escalate, and he retired to a farm near Jonesville. In January 1844, he and his wife were returning from church services one morning when a group of regulators showed up at his home, demanding possession of some slaves he was holding under a writ of sequestration. When Hansford refused to hand the slaves over, the regulators gunned him down. For nearly two years, the fighting raged. Among
2: the dead were Robert Potter, a senator, veteran of San Jacinto, and signer of the Texas Declaration of Independence. Potter was a leader of the moderators, which naturally made him a target. A group of regulators ambushed and murdered him at his home on Caddo
0: Lake on March 2, 1842. In the summer of 1844, the moderators met and decided to rename themselves the Reformers. They kicked Bradley out and chose former deputy James J. Craven as their leader. At first, they decided they would occupy Shelbyville, but soon decided to make peace with Mormon. On July 24, 1844, the two sides signed a short-lived truce. Apparently, the truce didn't include Bradley, though, because Mormon killed him at a Baptist camp meeting four days later. This was in retaliation for an attempted ambush where Mormon was nearly killed. The killings immediately flared up again. Yeah, four days. That's how long the truce lasted. And yet again, (laughs) there was more killing. More killing. Well, the regulators
1: published a list of many of Shelbyville's most prominent citizens, warning them to leave or die. Uh, Naturally, this turned opinion in the county firmly against Mormon and in favor of the moderators, and their ranks swelled. About 225 moderators attacked 62 regulators near Shelbyville. The regulators were reinforced by prominent citizens from nearby Harrison County, one of whom died during the skirmish. The moderators then occupied a log meeting house about four miles from Hilliard's Bridge, and the regulators attacked in force. The battle became known as the Churchill Battle to the Regulators and Helen's defeat to the moderators. Mormon's wife, Helen, had tried and failed to spy on the moderators before the battle. There were few casualties and no clear winner, but the entire eastern border of Texas was in absolute turmoil. Now,
2: by this time, the Republic of Texas was just about done with the whole thing. Sam Houston, now in his second term as president, was working hard at trying to get Texas annexed by the United States. A vicious civil war going on right next to the border was not helping matters at all. Houston sent Attorney General George W. Terrell to the area to investigate and try to bring order. Terrell wrote back to Houston, It really appears to me as if society were about to dissolve itself into its original elements. In order
0: to bring peace to the area, Houston ordered a force of 500 militia to march towards Shelbyville on August 14, 1844, under the command of Colonel Travis Brooks and Alexander Horton. The militia arrested 10 of the leaders from each faction. During the fracas, the regulators headed for the hills, but the moderators stood firm and actually arrested Colonel Brooks. Houston had had enough. He personally rode out to Shelby County and took command of the militia. When he arrived, he issued a letter to my countrymen, which was a veiled threat that ordered everyone involved in the feud to return home, so, quote, as will render it unnecessary to have recourse to such measures that would be unpleasant to myself as they would be indispensable to arrest the unhappy conditions of things. The fighting immediately stopped, and both sides agreed to a ceasefire. When Sam Houston talks, you better listen.
1: That's right. The primary living instigator of the war, Charles Watt Mormon, was tried but acquitted for Bradley's murder. He and his wife, Helen, returned to their home, but they had no peace. They were convinced that the moderators intended to murder him still. They eventually divorced, and his premonition was actually somewhat correct. A Dr. Robert Burns shot him in the back in Louisiana in 1850.
2: The peace held in Shelby County, though, thanks to newly instated civic officials such as Sheriff John Kennedy and Judge Joseph Fields. In 1845, Texas became part of the United States and, ironically, most of the surviving regulators and moderators would join together to fight in the Mexican-American War.
0: The legacy of the Regulator-Moderator War would continue for many years to come. It's unknown how many died as a result of this feud. Most accounts say more than 30, though it could be as high as 100. It is certainly one of the bloodiest feuds in American history. After the Civil War, pro-Confederate factions battled pro-Union factions in Orange and Jefferson County in far southeast Texas, and the factions took the now feared Regulator and Moderator names for themselves. We've talked about another famous and bloody Texas Reconstruction-era feud involving the sons of Creed Taylor, the Sutton-Taylor feud, its connection to the Regulator-Moderator War. Creed's first wife, and the mother of the boys involved, was Nancy Goodbread the niece of Joseph Goodbread, whose murder started the whole affair. so It all comes back to Creed Taylor. It all yeah. comes back to our man Creed Taylor. I mean...
1: Well, I mean, and, and it makes sense that she would have taught her boys, don't, don't let a slight go unturned, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: you know, they, okay. <clears throat> she, she
1: knew something about blood feuds, that's for sure.
0: I mean, you know, maybe the Bible isn't everybody's kind of take cup of tea, <laughs> but there isn't something to be said for turning the other cheek once in a while, <laughs> yeah like <laughs> yeah what i what I think is most interesting uh, about which this I love is that somebody they they're gunned down like at a baptist like <laughs> yeah <his neck. laughs> like, or, or walking home from church
1: <laughs>
2: yeah yeah what i what i what I find remarkable about this whole thing is kind of the idea that when you think of the Texan frontier back in those days you think of the west and the the native americans the apache the comanche you know way out there in the west in the hill country and the deserts but right here in the middle right next to the united states which we would consider one of the more civilized parts of the the state now is just this lawless no man's land right and it's like all this turmoil is happening right there in the middle of everything
0: well it's funny thinking regulators, you know, makes me think of young guns. I mean, that's the, that's the sad truth is, is like, you know, if you don't crack open a history book, like you think, well, I picture like Terrence Stamp and Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez and Lou Diamond Phillips writing for justice, you know, but, uh, but that's not really what it is. This is just seems like nobody's right. I mean, like history did not prove that either side was really right in this affair yeah. at all. Like history looks at all of these people and say you both are on the wrong side of this action completely. There's nothing redeeming about what you're doing.
1: Well, and Scott, your comment about Davy Crockett and the, the frontier justice, like this was this was how they settled things yeah. in the neutral ground and in this lawless area. And, you know, as we've talked about, like I, he paid for the slave with a fraudulent land script. Well, that sounds kind of like Jim Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> That's something yeah. Jim Bowie probably would do. But like th- it was it was a it was a very cutthroat time in a very a very uncivilized time and that was how you settled things is is you got your friends together, your like-minded people and you just gunned it down in the streets if you had to. You bushwhacked and you 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 slaughtered them as you found them and that was it. That was that was how things were done and it was pretty, really ugly. <laughs> it was not a pretty time.
0: So, what you're saying is, is that Deadwood is really a historical documentary, pretty much. Yeah.
1: Well, and it sets the tone for the future. Um, the future feuds going on later that have a very much more highly political nature. There's a political nature to this feud in the fact that it's largely was the old settlers versus the new settlers and the squatters versus the newcomers. But, you know, obviously the post-Civil War conflicts were definitely about, uh, you know, we're stemming from this, the, you know, the, the after effects of the Civil War. Uh, but you know, when, when they talked about what Terrell wrote to Houston, that they they'd gone back to their basic society elements of, you know, pre-society, um, you, that was how the Sutton Taylor feud was described, you know, that that when when the Rangers got to those counties, like they they were they were ungovernable. Those, that county where this was going on was ungovernable. And that was so it, it really did set the tone. And it was like kind of the thing that people remembered back to and what they they kind of reverted back to whenever things got really rough.
2: Yeah. So what we need to do, I guess, is we need to get a group of guys together, group of people. So if any of us ever get arrested, we can just have our judge dismiss the charges. You need a friend who's a judge
0: is all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who doesn't mind mind
0: ignoring the case law and the evidence.
1: And so I think the real interesting character in this one is Watt Mormon. Um, Yeah. Again, just one of those larger-than-life Texas people that pop up here and there that just like – you think that they can't be real, but there are these are real people.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it, there's also the whole angle to this story of you know Sam Houston trying to trying to pull the Republic of Texas together and you know and make it something worth being annexed by the United States. And here's all these, you know, basic basically criminals out there in East Texas running rampant, and he's like, guys, guys. I'm gonna to have to come down there and take care of this, aren't I? <laughs> like, you, you you can't you just can't
0: figure it out on your own. Everything for me comes down to like Star Wars analogy, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's that scene from Empire Strikes Back when they're trying to leave, and he's like, "You're pulling all this apart. I'm trying to get us out of here." I'm like, what are you nuts doing? What are you knuckleheads doing? Put it all back together.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, I think we need to uh, have regulated moderator war reenactments. <laughs> <laughs> we should go out. Yeah, we should go out to uh, uh St. Augustine or or uh yeah, out out in uh Shelby County and just like bushwhack each other on the side on the back back uh roads in the woods. And...
2: Oh, I was going to say uh yeah, we can do that. Just uh watch your back next time you're coming out of church. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what what's the lesson for history because, you know, if the lesson was <clears throat> So what's the lesson for history? Because if there was a lesson to be learned, then later groups would not have taken up the mantle of regulators and moderators. And there, and it wouldn't be, I mean, it's even, like I said, it's immortalized in pop culture, you know? What didn't they learn and what should we learn from this?
2: Well, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is that while all of the stuff's going on with Mexico and their independence from Spain and then the texas and their independence from mexico there was you know local conflict between just the settlers themselves i mean mm-hmm. these guys were fighting back and forth and they didn't seem to much care about the the larger goings-on of politics between states all they cared about was this is my my land i want to be in charge of my life you're not one of my boys so i'm gonna murder you you know it's it, it just yeah. it just kind of I don't know. It's a smaller conflict within everything else that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. As as far as immortalizing it in pop culture, I think it's just that idea of, you know, the scrappy frontier people trying to make their own way without, you know, being bothered by anything on the
0: outside. Yeah. We joke about Shelbyville and the Simpsons, but I mean, this really could read like, this reads like the ironic plot twist of a Simpsons episode. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, that's history, folks. It's it's dumb and ironic sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
1: I just love my favorite part is the, the judges. We're on trial, and my judge makes me, you know, declares me innocent, and <laughs> your judge just declares you innocent. Well, that solved nothing. <laughs> like, even the trappings of civilization completely failed and fell apart.
0: Yeah, and then the judge who says, well, I was going to go to court. But then <laughs> well, I'm afraid I'm going to get murdered. There's a bunch of thugs and outlaws <laughs> here, so you're on your own. Yeah. I'm done. I'm out. I mean, it's what well, you know, who watches the watchman? Like when law break, when law resolves, this is the walking dead folks. This is what yeah. it is. This well, is the historical equipment. And the the moderators
1: had a a Texas senator and signer of the Declaration of Independence riding with them get murdered. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a ugly, ugly time. But there, yeah, there's a lot of irony in this story. And again, no one's right in
0: it. So, so take that Cowboys and Indians magazine <laughs> for glorifying the, <laughs> the the mystique of the frontier in the Old West. It was a terrible time. And yeah. you just hope that you had more friends who had guns and didn't care about the law. So, yeah, what a downer to end on. What a downer to end on. I yeah. mean, it's. Like, don't get me wrong. Like there's that mis- that's there's that uh, romance of what it means to be a, a settler and, and yeah. an outlaw and to be you know making your way in the world and what these men of the west meant, but uh, frontier justice is kind of terrible justice uh, yes. some of the time. Yes. Well
1: Well, Scott raises a good point. Like they didn't care what was going on with Mexico. I mean, at the same time, 1842, that year, that was the year that the Mexicans invaded and took San Antonio twice. And then the Mir expedition went after them. So like all this stuff going on in the, the central part of Texas and the South part of Texas were like the country was threatened, you know, and the Comanches, you know, 1841, the Comanches, you know, they were still, that was right after their great raid. So all of this stuff happening, these people in East Texas don't give a crap. They're killing each other. I mean, you got an army of 300 people. You know that are like gunning for each other.
0: <laughs> Listen, I think this goes back to something I said when we talked about uh, a most pleasing shape and the shape of Texas and where the shape yeah. of Texas come from. Uh, I think you're just best off trying to keep a, a good uh, fifty to hundred miles between yourself <laughs> and border. the border of Texas. Yeah, stay away <laughs> from any border, pretty much, because just terrible things happen there. It seems, <laughs> and you don't want to yeah. accidentally wind up in Louisiana or Oklahoma. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that wraps things up for today you can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com we'd love to hear from you so like and share us on facebook follow the show on twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback you can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com we'd like to thank paul schmel for his contribution in helping to research and write today's episode you can find him at paul Schmell on twitter and why not follow us individually too I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java.
1: I'm Max Sean with two ends, And I'm
0: Scotticus. We know you love this show. We know you love Texas. So get out there and do your duty. Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. And make them leave a review on iTunes. Because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.